Kia ora. Welcome to Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I'm Andrew Dixon. It's good to have you here. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to make you all aware that my website's now up and running, uh, downtoearthconversations.com. On the website, you'll find the podcast episodes, and I've also started to write a blog to sit alongside the podcast, where I write my thoughts about things that I'm mulling over, especially as they relate to finding ways to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. This week's post looked at how misunderstandings of who Jesus is all the message he carried has been complicit in shaping some of the injustices that are evident in our society and why we must do something about that. On the website you can also sign up to my mailing list and receive communications from me around upcoming interviews, extra insights or requesting feedback from those uh, who are most engaged in this podcast. And lastly on the website there's a link to my Patreon page. This is a way for you to become a patron of the podcast helping to fund what I'm doing for as little as $3 a month. There are a number of ongoing costs that currently come out of my own pocket and I'm committed to keeping this podcast ad-free. I'm extremely grateful to Ignition Networks for hooking me up with the gear to get up and running, but now I'm looking for that extra support in order to keep things happening so we can hear more conversations from people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. So head to downtoearthconversations.com and uh, have a look around. In this week's conversation, I sit down for a all with Jeremy Baker, a GP with a Master's of Theology who has intentionally brought the worlds of spirituality and medicine back together in a society which has intentionally separated them. We recorded this just before it became clear just how big a deal the coronavirus was, so we don't touch on that, but we do head into medicine, prayer, opera, and the gaps in the mental health system. My background with Jeremy is personal, as he was the GP who diagnosed my depression, prescribing medication for me while simultaneously offering prayer and spiritual insight into some of the causes or triggers. He is genuinely a man who loves people. This is episode 8 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Jeremy Baker. I was mature enough to say, well, I don't have to live just by the medical orthodoxy which can be arrogant and it can be discriminating and it can be stigmatising and it can make people very, very uncomfortable. So I suppose I had been inoculated myself that no kindness was a better way to do it. And when you can see kindness and gentleness work, you, you don't want to go back. You don't want to retreat from that. Awesome, we're here today with Jeremy Baker, Dr Jeremy Baker. Do you like being called Doctor? No. No. <laughs> okay, not Doctor, Jeremy Baker. Um, cool. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. And um, do you want to just start by letting us know a little bit about who you are, where you're from? Began life uh, as a Southlander, and my father was a vet, and he met my mother, who was the local farmer's daughter. She had become a nurse. And they took us off to Fiji, so I was brought up as a Fijian, and right. for 12 years, um, that was my country. And 
my mother being Presbyterian asked if you know, I would go to church with her or yep. Sunday school and I said, oh, okay. And so I started a faith when I was about seven or eight and then went to boarding school in New Zealand and these were Anglican schools and continued a faith. Yep. Um, high school was a bit more difficult because it was you know, pressure to conform and pressure to be part of your peer group. And yet somehow I still retained a faith, but not a very strong one. But by the time I started medical school, uh, things, things were wavering. Never lost the, the knowledge that God was real. But it took a, took a time of wilderness, really. Uh, after I graduated, I went to England, did my OE and worked in hospitals there and went to Ireland. In Ireland, I, I was pretty much just a musician. So I travelled around cool. the country and played in different what do, you, what do you play? Uh, keyboard and voice. I, I yep. trained as a classical singer. Right. Mm. Cool. So that, that was a way of me meeting the people and re-meeting God. And so I had a, an amazing experience of, of his touch of my life, which basically sent me back looking at the relationship I'd had when I was a kid. Yeah, right. Cool. Um, it still took a while to do the full turnaround, but when... When the turnaround was complete, I thought, well, God is real and he's worth right. um, investing in and, you know, he's my saviour. And yeah. it, it got rid of all the nominal type attendance that, that you know, was yeah. part of my upbringing. Was the music touring thing before medical school, after medical school? So I'd, I'd finished medical school. Um, I was interested in natural medicines, yep. and so I worked in London in natural medicines, right. but had also trained as a musician and, and did solo stuff and did operatic stuff, and uh, it was always a bit of a pull which way to go. Yeah. But you, you, you had to either invest one very fully or the other very fully, and it was yeah. very hard to do both. Yeah. So. And how did you end up making that choice? Probably the voice of my father in my ear, which yeah. says, don't, don't lose your day job. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any regrets around not carrying on the music stuff? I, I would have, but for God's reassurance that it was all okay. Yeah, cool. Um, I have a son who's, who's a musician and mm. who's, who follows the Lord. And I've pretty much said to him a little differently from my father, if, if music is your day job, well, that's just fine. You know, just put, put it all out, pull it all out there in God's hands. Awesome. So it's worked for him. Yeah. Mm. So, so um, becoming a doctor, was that a goal from early on? Or? Yeah, I think so. It was, it was to some degree a family expectation. Um, but, it, but at others, it was either going to be a vet, which was what my father was, yeah. or do medicine. Um, where we lived was in Christchurch when my parents came back from Fiji. So it was... It was closer to go where your mates went, which was which was Otago. Yeah, right. Otherwise, you went to the North Island. So, purely by, by virtue of I could maintain those relationships, I became a doctor. My first introduction to you was actually as a patient, and I was referred by a mutual friend of ours uh, when I wasn't doing too well with um, mental health. And one of the things I noticed in that space was that for you there seemed a really natural fit between your practice as a GP and your faith. 
is that something that came naturally to you or is that something you've had to work to slot together? I think because I'd had that personal experience um, in Ireland, I had said to myself that if if I'm going to be a doctor, it's going to be in God's terms. Mm. So I, I got used to that idea fairly quickly. Um, and when I came back to New Zealand from Ireland, it was pretty much, well, here's the degree, God. Do you want it or don't you? Mm. And at that point, I'd set up a, a clinic firstly in Dunedin and then later here in Christchurch. That was putting putting God first. Yeah, right. um, it ended up, in, in the first clinic I had in Dunedin being very pastoral, um, a lot of counselling, but a lot of spiritual intercession and prayer. Um, so I think I knew at that stage I, I wouldn't go ever back to just routine medical work. Mm. And I think he's he's shaped me since through through Bible college. Yeah. Um, I, I've never had mental illness myself as yeah. such, but I but I've got a real heart because of family members um, because of the loss and grief that that we've seen around us Um, and I always believed that God was right there for people Mm. Uh, and it was just so worthwhile to introduce people to God whether explicitly or just through through at least the way I behaved Mm. or the way that I was a doctor It, it seemed too important to always try and include that and an exciting journey with many, many people who ranged from those who didn't want to hear a bar of it to those that were very, very hungry, very, very open, but maybe hadn't heard the gospel. Mm. Um, so the clinic you came to, to see us at um, had a foundation in Jesus, and we, we made that quite explicit, right. that this is, this is God's place. So if people came in, I mean, obviously you knew that I was coming, I was a pastor, I had that connection, so um, it was fairly natural to ask about prayer and things. Is that something you would explicitly bring out with each of your patients, or is it was it more kind of behind the scenes for some? It's it's something that, funny enough, I've seen change over the years that we're, we've been a Christian medical centre, I've been a Christian medical doctor. Um, the 21st century has become a little hardened and a little bit more cynical mm. and a little bit more inoculated against uh, the gospel. Um, so on one hand, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to always bring up the fact that you want to talk about God, but inevitably I'll, I'll, I'll simply ask that question, does a God exist or yeah. do you believe in a God? Yeah, right. And people don't take offence necessarily from that. Mm. Um, and good news is that the Treaty of Waitangi says that we we can converse at a spiritual level, that it's expected mm. of us to do that. So that's another barrier that's removed compared to, say, other overseas yeah, right. Western countries. Um, if it came down to what percentage of people I might pray for, it might, it might have been a quarter or a third. Mm. I would have liked to have prayed more, but time... Uh, I think was was not on our side in terms of what else we yeah. were expected to do medically. Yeah. Uh, but then again, people would a little, little like yourselves hear by word of mouth that we were open to prayer, and so it was mm. increasingly expected that we we had it on offer. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, I, th I mean, I came away from that experience going, why have we ever separated spirituality mm. and medicine? Mm. You know, that it just seemed like such a natural fit that mm. I'd never experienced before. Mm. You know, I'd never been to a medical anything that had any sort of spirituality um, brought into it. And yet, I mean, if not even just Christian history, if you just look through history, it's only been a very recent thing that we separated those two ideas. Um, and in lots lots of parts of the world, those two ideas are still naturally hand mm. in hand. Mm. Um, so yeah, did, did you find that um, people responded well to the combination of that, that that um you know obviously you you went as deep as you felt they were prepared to go but mm. um did you find that actually introducing a spiritual part of the discussion was helpful for people they found it helpful compared to just having received a diagnosis and some medicine or the um the response could be mixed depending on whether people were mentally ill or whether yeah. they were desperate or whether they were content in their lives um, we were dealing with, uh, with a lot of ex-prisoners, mm. uh, deportees from Australia, um, refugees, um, you know, people that had been in drug and alcohol problems. Mm. And funny enough, they tended to be a lot more open to, one, receiving empathy, receiving you know, we, we, we wouldn't judge them and therefore the conversation into relationships and spirituality came a lot simpler. Um, if people were well-to-do and perhaps more affluent, it wasn't that the conversation was closed and, and by no means. Mm. Um, but in some ways you had to be a little bit more careful mm. uh, because they, they were easily able to distract onto other conversations other than God. Mm. And so to pursue that too deeply would have become a, an offensive mm. thing. Um, fortunately, as a GP, you've got time to play with. You can build that relationship. Yep. But I think overall the, the, the question shrinks down to, well, what, what is it that we seek from God? And that's a relationship. What do other people need from each other? Well, that's relationship. Mm. Uh, and so it became easy and easy just to bring the same sort of relationship into, the, yeah. into their awareness. Yeah, so it wasn't even necessarily let's have a conversation about God, but actually no. just this relational aspect of who God is, let's display that here in the way that we're relating to people. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. In terms of the the guys coming out of prison, the refugees, thing, was that something they just sort of naturally started turning up or was that partnerships that you formed with other groups? How did that work? Um, we'd had prior relationships with some of the reintegration teams um, and these are Pathway Trust, Salvation mm -hmm. Army, Heiwakatapu, who are a whanau aura provider and we became their, their primary medical centre and we, we formed memorandum of understandings to, to develop a shared treatment plan and uh, protocols for seeing their people. So if they were first released, we would be the, often the first port of call for them. Uh, 
the second port of call was the mall, and the mall was to, uh, we used to joke about it, was to freak them out because they'd been sort of anxious about coming out into the open and we'd joke about the doc, which is the more scary, the doctor or the mall. Yeah, true. It was interesting, actually, My our first episode was interviewing Kerry Ewing from Pathway and, and he talked about how, um, he didn't specifically name you guys, but he was talking about how they get these guys into doctors and dentists and things and that the feedback they get back is, is not so much, yay, someone looked at my medical stuff but actually someone treated me like a person mm. Um, mm. so I think yeah in terms of those sort of partnerships that you created that's such a valuable experience for those yeah. otherwise forgotten part of society yeah. and in a way it, it's it sounds simple to be caring but these people had not been used to that mm. uh, and they were very wary on their first couple of occasions but quickly because our staff were a praying staff and we shared the, the vision, they cottoned on, something in their spirits did respond. Mm. And the number of people that very quickly you were having quite a deep spiritual conversation with, you know, it was such a beautiful, rewarding, um, we realised why we were in th this job of doing this. Mm. Um, it's not to say it didn't have a cost because the weight of it, the spiritual weight, was still pretty heavy. Yep. Uh, we would end up doing a lot of praying, a lot of interceding. Mm. Um, and issues were difficult for them. Mm. And, but for the first time, maybe we, we found that we could give the time for those issues. Yeah, cool. I think, um, like again, having experienced it, you could easily hear that there was like a Christian GP practice or whatever and think well they're doing their general GP thing and then they're trying to evangelise on the side you know mm. my sense of it and tell me if I'm wrong here my sense of it was that your heart was much more that that you were a doctor because you were about wholeness and wellness and well-being and that involves spirituality that involves the God connection and so to bring that into the conversation is actually still a conversation about wholeness and wellness and mm. and it's not some ulterior motive <clears throat> to get people over some line. Um, yeah. yeah. There, there are a couple of uh, conversation types that give you an inkling on in how God works. One, one was, of course, they're, they're coming in with a lot of F words. And one of the rules that I, well, probably the only rule I had was no F words. And the looks on their faces as they were confronted with a rule that wasn't going to put them behind bars, but yeah. they had to think about, yeah. had a really strange positive effect on them because they started to catch their automatic negative behaviours. Mm. And somehow it influenced how they began to then treat me as a person. Yeah, um, which was in incredibly intriguing. Uh, That's cool. Um, you, you talked about having uh, quite a focus on mental health, and that was to do with family and and other connections and things. So, when did you really start going? Actually, this is a key focus for me. Um, and and what did that look like? Um, other than just being a normal 
normal GP, <laughs> whatever normal GP is. <laughs> um, so I, I had a wilderness experience, which which kind of was a self-imposed. Let's explore the world, which yeah. was take myself out of the medical environment in England. Yeah. And I was working in a lot of communities in Ireland, which at that, at that time were, were fairly deprived and realised that there were other ways of, of looking at wellness. And for, for me, it was music and talk and, and interaction. And they had a lot of festivals. They loved their, they loved their Guinness, but they also loved to, to laugh and, and uh, play, play jokes on each other. It, it wasn't something that was easy to find in New Zealand, which was a little bit um, perhaps more focused. It, it had a little bit more mm -hmm. um, intention about employment and jobs and, and doing things constructively. Um, but I also had a wilderness experience here where, where I stopped medicine here, went and planted an orchard and built a house and worked back in yep. that sort of Irish community and found the wealth of that was still very, very evident mm -hmm. and it's something to be brought out. So I think from that point, although I worked back in, in medical settings and worked back in hospitals, I was mature enough to say, well, I don't have to live just by the medical orthodoxy, yep. which can be arrogant and it can be discriminating and it can be stigmatising and it can make people very, very uncomfortable. So I, I suppose I had been inoculated myself that no, kindness was a better way to do it. Mm. And when you can see kindness and gentleness work, you, you don't want to go back. You don't want to retreat from that. So when I first came to Christchurch and finished medical, uh, Bible college, um, working in orthodox medical settings, I was still looking out for the ones that had a spiritual interest, may have been Christians or lost their faith or had mental, mental illness. And I started a little group called the Travel Club and we met together in a cafe, it was a protected environment, people had mental illness, they had trauma, they had abuse mm. issues, but they started connecting and talking and finding this relationship thing which became very powerful for mm. them. Um, it became in some ways like a protected church environment. And it's out of that that we began our Christian medical centre here, here in Christchurch. Yeah, right. And um, I, I think once you've been touched by something so powerful as God working, you, you don't want to, you, you can't go back. Mm. You can't retreat from that. What's your take on the, the mental health system in New Zealand? <laughs> I know that's an enormous question. But um, I guess my, my real question is, where do you see hope for people mm. in the middle of all of that? I think the, the level of expertise is, is pretty high. I think that the, particularly in Christchurch, is where, where I've done most of my mental health work, the intention of people to do good is really high. I think the... The train comes off the rails a bit in terms of cohesing uh, what direction to take. Mm -hmm. the, the recent government inquiry is setting a direction that is community focused. It's taking away from what's called big psychiatry, hospitals, tertiary care, uh, Hillmorton or those sorts of institutions, which do a lot of good, mm. but putting it into big community. 
and we're seeing that the role of um, people who have been through mental health, they, they are informing us of the things we've been talking about, mm -hmm. the gentleness, the care, the empathy. So the direction, I think, is going towards community empowerment, if that's the right word, yep. um, and connection and relationship. There are still too many silos. There are too many people working in different mindsets and there are still vested interests that, that protect their professionalism or their, mm. their roles as professionals that are getting in the way. Right. If we took a gospel perspective, it has got a lot of sacrificial nature to it. Um, it's not simply monetary-based. It's not simply academy-based or academic-based. It's got a sense of we're in this because community will be better for it. Yeah. The, the mismatch between, however, the medical way of doing it and the community way of doing it is still quite large. There's mm -hmm. still a gap that, that has to be breached. Um, and I can only say it's a little bit like the change in treating leprosy. Compared to Jesus' day, we still treat mental illness a little bit at a distance. Yeah. We don't fully learn the language because it's 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 a little foreign to us. Yeah, and and scary. And scary. Mm. But I just want to say, people are doing good things to to try and breach that gap. Mm. Um, and it's something that we are starting to do with with a program where we're teaching ch churches with a. Um, a three or a nine month course that teaches mental health to, to pastoral care workers in the church. Yeah, and cool. so they, they come out informed um, with a pastoral sense, with a God sense. They've got mm. a life in Christ that they've now got a little bit more expertise to, to help others in mental health. Mm. So this is your, your heart space initiative. Yeah. And um, I guess tell us a little bit about how that came about, you know, how, how this went from there's a gap to, well, I'll do something about that. Because um, I'm assuming that this is about making that connection between the community and the medical. Yeah, yeah. Um, Post-quake, the, the churches were really responsive. Mm. Um, there, there was a lot of um, empathy and love for what had happened to our communities. The questions were still around how do we extend that to people with difficult mental health issues or uh, distress? Mm -hmm. um, I think it was only a couple of years post-quake that we started uh, a yearly seminar, it was at that time, mm -hmm. called Headspace. And Headspace was ga a gathering for half a day, talking on particular topics, including spirituality in those topics. Um, and they, they seem to be well accepted, they were, yeah. um, we, we got a lot of good feedback. And these were particularly for church leaders and their teams. Um, the next step was to ask those leaders, did they have people in their own churches who they wanted to, to have more training? Um, and so about a year ago now we started Hui's talking with churches and allied Christian groups. Would we set up a, a, a program that would be sufficiently credentialed, sufficiently linked in with other services, 
um, including Christian services, Laidlaw College, um, Strength to Strength, which is Richard, Richard yep. Black, uh, Stepping Stone and, and, and other mental health mm. services. And out of that, yes, we did. We have created a, a training program. It's just begun. We've got a the first uh, intake of students, and we're really um, enthused. We're really amazed at, at how the response has been. Yeah, cool. Um, we've set up a trust for it. We're looking for sponsors. Awesome. Um, I'm allowed to do blatant totally. advertising. Absolutely. <laughs> advertising. Give us your money to support Deacon Trust, which supports mental health training in the community. Yeah, do it, people. So, um, I get your hope with this is that there would be people to um, walk alongside people. Is that the the goal of it? That it's that relational aspect that you talked about before. Yeah, we we haven't quite got the right name, but for now we're calling them a mental health coach. Right. Uh, it could be mental health support worker. Uh, it's got equivalents in uh, the secular medical realm of coaches walking a lot alongside people with mm -hmm. mental health issues. So people in distress, they're not sure which way to turn. They don't know how to access help. Yeah. Um, they can't put their affairs in, in order, that sort of thing. Mm. And the coach has the ability to link in with medical services. Mm. They're not trying to be a counsellor as such, but they've got that deeper understanding. So this isn't about retraining to try and do a whole different job, necessarily? Not necessarily, um, no. That people could do this alongside <clears throat> other stuff that they're already doing. Yeah. Or it could lead them down that path That's of right. vocation. Yeah. So if they're a teacher or a builder or a mother or a nurse, they, they carry on doing those roles, but they've got this extra skill to bring to their workplace. Mm. Uh, we've, we've been talking with the credentialing people like, well, Laidlaw College have been talking about a one-year program like this. Um, the Polytechs have a well-being coach credential. It's a diploma. And we're just looking, well, how can we get that linked mm. into that kind of credential? But the, the important bit and the important difference really from what's currently in place is these are people who essentially work with their churches, with their pastoral care teams. And that brings a strength, that brings brings a spiritual strength as well. Mm. And I guess my experience from pastoral work is that there are some people that you you try and get extra help for and find that they're not unwell enough for the extra help. But they're too unwell to function normally. Mm -hmm. uh, if, mm -hmm. Normally is even a thing. Yeah, um, yeah. To function well. And... So is this filling that space? Is I think so. I think it's not trying to replace the more extreme that's right. care. That's right. So back back to to your previous question about where do I see the mental health mm. system could go, or where is it at? This move to community is still there's still a gap. Mm. There's still this gap where primary care, which is your your GPs, secondary care, which is your psychiatrist. There will be never enough of them yep. to, to meet the mental health needs that we have. What are the mental health needs arising from? Well, day-to-day -day stresses, extra stresses that we've had, for instance, in Christchurch. Yep. Um, how do people lift their resilience and their adaptability? How do they integrate the different 
traumas happening and still function well mm. as human beings with care and love for each other. So I see that that's right where the church sits, that, that that's been their job for 2,000 years. That's awesome. If people wanted to find out more about HeartSpace, about um, what you guys are up to, how would they do that? So we've got a, a manager coordinator that we've just appointed, someone called Craig Lynch. Uh, Craig, Craig's had a lot of expertise in the UK and the NHS and nursing background. Get your pens out. It's Craig L, C-R-A-I-G-L, at workplace support, all one word, .co.nz, or myself, jeremy.baker, at settlers.pegasus.net.nz. But I'm sure that Andy can give mm. you those. Yes, I'll put those in the show notes. And if you're interested, just flick either of them an email and um, they can get back to you and let you know a little bit more about what's going on and how you could be involved in that. Is there anything else you wanted to say about what you're up to, about um, yeah, where this thing's going, about how people can support? Yeah, it, it, it's possibly the, the thing that, that churches like to know is that God's with them. Mm. They like to feel the presence of God and what, what, what we do. We believe that through our prayer and, our, and the, the, the feedback that we've got and the prayer uh, affirmation that if we step into God in this work, we feel he's behind us. Mm. Um, we, we've got a, a certain strength that, that, that though conversations may need to change in medical services about how to do mental health, that God will also step before us and help him make mm. those changes. Um, we see it as not an easy change to make, to bring the community to a better awareness of mental health, but we certainly think it's, it's, it's where God's heart is. Mm. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. Um, I just love this whole idea of, of actually this holistic way of looking at wholeness and well-being um, and that you've invested your life into that. And in terms of what we're about here um, at the podcast, it's, you know, I see that definitely as bringing a bit of heaven into people's lives. And, and a lot of those people are people that would be overlooked by a lot of society. So um, thank you for the work you do. Thank you for the work you've done with me personally. Um, and thank you for your time today to share with us on the podcast. Bless you. What a great example of someone who hasn't stepped out of where they are to make a difference, but has done it instead by staying in their occupation while looking at how it could be done differently to bring a bit of heaven into people's lives. It's something I so greatly appreciated as a patient, and I know many others have as well, and it's something that I find encouraging, that it isn't about stopping what you're doing in order to do something else. Maybe it's just about looking at how you might do things differently where you are. It might be as simple as asking, how can this be done with kindness? That's obviously a big driver for Jeremy and one that just oozes out of him during any conversation with him. I love that Jeremy is who he is no matter where you encounter him. There's no separation of faith and life. It's all wrapped up together and influences all he does. So thank you Jeremy for your heart, your life lived in service to those around you and for the time to have this all with me. And thanks for what you're doing to help to bring a bit of heaven 
Down to Earth. Next episode, I chat to Blair Ashdown, Managing Director of Heat Pumps Now. We talk about parenting, business, generosity and social engagement, while also diving into emotionally challenging spaces around losing a son during pregnancy and finding his business come crashing down around him. And what brought him through those times? A conversation full of heartbreak and hope. Until then, me inoi tato. Next episode, I chat to Blair Ashdown, Managing Director of Heat Pumps Now. We talk about parenting, business, generosity, and social engagement, while also diving into emotionally challenging spaces around losing a son during pregnancy and finding his business crashing down around him. We also talk about what brought him through those times. A conversation full of heartbreak and hope. Next episode, I chat to Blair Ashdown, Managing Director of Heat Pumps Now. We talk about parenting, business, generosity and social engagement, while also diving into emotionally challenging spaces around losing a son during pregnancy and finding his business crashing down around him. We talk about what brought him through those times. It's a conversation full of heartbreak and hope. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi. Humai kia mātou ai nei, he taroma mātou mō tēnei rā, mūro mātou hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga, e hara ana kia mātou. Aua hoki mātou e kawia, kia whakawaia, e ngari whakorangia mātou i te kino. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.